The scripture reading today is from Psalm 121, as Luke said. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. This is the word of the Lord. This is a psalm about protection, a psalm about God as our keeper. This is a particularly important psalm in the Evans household. When each of our three children were born, we, uh, Marianne and I took a cue from another family that we knew at a church we served at in Arizona and gave each of our children a psalm that we, from time to time, pray over them and uh, think about with regards to them. And Psalm 121 is Ainsley's psalm. And so we love this psalm in the Evans house. And we gave this psalm to Ainsley because it's a psalm about God caring for us and protecting us. It's not just that for Ainsley and the Evans family. For centuries, this psalm has been a particularly encouraging psalm for believers in Jesus Christ. David Livingstone was a 19th century abolitionist and adventurer and missionary. Some of you might have heard of him before. He's famous for the numerous expeditions he made into Africa and for his deep desire to see the slave trade abolished in the middle of the 19th century in England and to see Africans converted to Jesus Christ. And uh, in Livingstone's era, obviously, Africa was much less well-known than it is now. And uh, in his biography, you can read about before his first trip into Africa in 1840, his entire family gathered around him and prayed over him this psalm, Psalm 121. And his mother and his mother-in-law would write him often and say that Psalm 121 was in their minds as they thought about him and prayed about him. Ainsley's story and Livingstone's story are just some of many stories from the history of the church about how Psalm 121 is a source of, a source of comfort. It's a source of comfort for God's people. And it's comforting because this is a psalm about God taking care of you. Do you, know, do you know this morning that God is going to take care of you? That should be good news for you. God is your protector. God is your keeper. That's what this psalm tells us. As we make our way through some of these psalms this summer, we're seeing all the various ways that the psalms show us how the fullness of human emotions can be expressed in our lives, no matter what we're facing before God. This psalm is the second of what's called the Psalms of Ascents. You'll notice there in the superscription that it says a song of ascents. That's Psalm 120 through Psalm 134. And this, the Psalms of Ascents are like a mini book within the Psalms that the people of Israel in the Old Testament would sing together as they made pilgrimages pilgrimages from their homes and their villages to Jerusalem, the capital city, for one of the three major Old Testament festivals each year. And so you can imagine a family traveling on foot from their home to the major city of Jerusalem, and as they summit a hill, they see the city spread out before them, and they begin to sing together with their fellow travelers, I lift up my eyes to the hills, from where does my help come? 
And that's the, that's the theme of this psalm. So let me summarize it for you just very simply with this one statement. Here's the main idea. The Lord will keep his people. That's the point of Psalm 121. That's what I hope the Holy Spirit will imprint on your hearts this morning. The Lord will keep his people. And we'll break it down into three parts. We see that the Lord is a keeper. He's a powerful keeper, a vigilant keeper, and a constant keeper. Powerful, vigilant, constant. Okay, so let's look at those together then. First, we see the psalm teach us that God is a powerful keeper. Look at verse 1. As we just saw, the psalm begins with the writer looking up to the hills and saying, where is my help going to come from? Now, why does he look to the hills? There's a couple of possibilities for this. One possibility is that the hills represent a source of danger, that there's bandits or wild animals in the hills, that they're threatening. Another possibility, though, is that the hills represent a source of comfort and protection. It's very likely that the latter of those two options is the best option. The city of Jerusalem was surrounded and is surrounded by hills. Hills are Jerusalem's natural protection. Whereas many ancient cities were protected by water passages, Jerusalem was protected alone by the hills which surround the city. So it's likely that the hills here are a metaphor. They're a metaphor for God protecting, for God taking care of his people. And so when the psalmist says, I lift my eyes up to the hills, he's really saying that it's not the hills themselves that are going to provide protection for me, but it's the maker of the hills that is going to protect me. The hills, you see, they're just a, they're just a visible picture given to remind us of God's ongoing care for us. Think about that with me. This is another example, I think, of the deep humanity of the Psalms. How the Psalms are deeply human. I mean, is there a more human thought than this one? Where is my help going to come from? I mean, if you're a human, and I think all of you are, last time I checked, um, that's a question that we in so many different ways are asking ourselves internally pretty much every day. It's one of the most common thoughts to flash in our minds. Just think about your life right now. Take five seconds and think about in what areas of your life are you right now asking this question? Where is my help going to come from? We're getting ready for a new school year. I know kids and teachers hate to hear that, but it's true. So you students probably in some way are asking yourself, where's my help going to come from as I start school? to make new friends, to handle what's expected of me. Teachers are asking the question as well. How am I going to do all that I'm supposed to do? How will I have the energy to make it? Stay-at-home moms are asking this question, right? How am I going to make it at home with these kids and all the challenges they present? Where's my help going to come from? You're asking it in various ways in your places of work and business. How am I going to accomplish what's being asked of me? You're asking it in life transitions. I don't know what the future holds. Who's going to help me? What's going to happen to us? You're asking it when you're in suffering, when you're facing hardship, when you're saying internally, I can't handle this. This is too hard for me. I'm weary and tired. Who is going to help? There's no more human question. There's no more human question than this one. Where is my help going to come from? And that is why this psalm is so comforting. It's comforting because it gives a clear and resounding answer to that all too common question. 
Verse 2. My help comes from Yahweh. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. God is our help. God is our help. And notice here that the psalmist focuses on the power of God. The power of God as our helper and keeper. We know that because he sings about God being the creator. God made heaven and earth. And because God made heaven and earth, we can be confident that he's a powerful and a mighty and an able helper for whatever we're facing. Our king is able to meet our needs. He made everything from the depths of the oceans to the reaches of space. He holds them all between his fingers. God alone, the psalm is reminding us, is self-sufficient. God alone is able to help. The psalmist also uses the name of God there, which I said a minute ago, Yahweh, the Lord. In your translations of the Old Testament, when you see the word Lord used in all capitals, that is what that's a translation of. It's the covenant name of God. And if you're familiar with your Bibles, you might know the story of when God first reveals himself by this name. It's in the story of Exodus, when Moses is a shepherd and he goes up into a crag in a mountain and sees a bush that is burning but is not consumed. And God reveals himself there to Moses, doesn't he? And God is asked by Moses, what is your name? What is your name? And the Lord responds, I am who I am. That's what this name means. So this name, the Lord, implies God's self-sufficiency, his eternity, his incomprehensible power and greatness. And if you think about it in the context of Exodus, what is it that Moses needs when God makes his name known to him? Moses needs help, right? Remember, God is asking Moses to do something quite significant. He's saying, go to Pharaoh the most powerful person in the ancient world, and tell him, let the people of Israel go. Release them from captivity. Release them from bondage because the Lord says so. And what does Moses say? Moses is like, I think you got the wrong guy. I'm not a public speaker. He's kind of like Cassie, right? I don't, I don't do these public speaking things. Cassie did great, by the way. And Moses did great. God provided for him. God met his needs. God was his helper. And so the psalm is a portrait here for how God in his power helps us. Stay with me and think about this. This psalm is a portrait for us for how um, reflecting on God's character in our heads can help us and comfort us in our hearts in times of trouble. To get the help that we need in life, we have to learn how to take our head knowledge about God and translate it into the heart knowledge of being with God. Does that make sense? You have to learn how to let what you know in your head to be true to minister to your heart, especially when things in your life are challenging. So how do you do that? J.I. Packer, uh, in his great book, Knowing God, gives us a way. Listen to what he says. How can we turn our knowledge about God into knowledge of God? The rule for doing this is simple but demanding. It is that we turn each truth that we learn about God into matter for meditation before God, leading to prayer and praise to God. So one thing I want to encourage you to do through this psalm is take time in your life 
to filter through your fears and worries before God. Take time in your life to filter through your fears and your worries before God and then believe the promises of God, that God is your powerful and able helper. Preach them to yourself and fight on. This is crucial and important stuff here. God tells us he's a powerful keeper. Secondly, he's a vigilant keeper. You'll notice as the psalm was read that that word keep or keeper, it's used six times in verses three through eight. And so that kind of repetition, which we see in the Old Testament, is always there to emphasize. It's always there to highlight. And so the beautiful point here is this. God is vigorously vigilant in his work of watching over his people. He is committed. He is committed to caring for you. The great theologian John Calvin, he put it like this almost 500 years ago. He said, God is the bodyguard of his people. God is the bodyguard of his people. Verse 3 tells us that God will not let your foot be moved. He will not let your foot be moved. Now, given the context of the Psalms of Ascents, remember, these are pilgrimage songs where people would be traveling on foot through sometimes treacherous landscape to Jerusalem. And so these ancient Israelite pilgrims were walking and it would have been easy to slip, right? Easy to lose your step. But this idea of God not letting your foot be moved is more of just a metaphor of the entire Christian life. It's a metaphor of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Can you ask yourself with me, uh, how often do we slip? How often do we slip in our spiritual lives? How often do we falter in our attempts to follow Jesus Christ? I mean, the longer we live, the more we know that the paths of life are dangerous and perilous. Sin can cause us to slip. Temptations hit us. The evil one and the powers and the principalities of this present darkness, all of these things seek to make us stumble. But what does this psalm say? This psalm gives us that the truth that God is going to preserve us. We have promised preservation from God our keeper here. He will not let your foot be moved, the psalmist says. That's a great barometer, actually, for how well you really understand the Christian faith. It's a great barometer for whether or not you get the gospel at all. How do you view God? There's really two ways that people view God. There's the way of religion and there's the way of the gospel. The way of religion, in the terms of 121 verse 3, sees God as waiting for us to slip. Waiting for us to slip. And then if we stumble or if we fall, we're in trouble with him. That's the way of religion. It's the most common way of viewing God in the world. It's probably the way that you view God, if you're being honest, in your functional day-to-day existence. But it's not the way of the gospel. The way of the gospel is that when we slip, God promises to catch us and that he will not let us finally fall. I saw online a couple of weeks ago a meme. I can't remember where exactly I saw it. And it said this. Religion says... When you mess up, 
When you mess up, religion says, I've got to hide because my dad might find out. But the gospel says, when you mess up, you say, I better call my dad. Which way do you view God? Do you view him as the God who's waiting for you to mess up so he can smite you? Or do you view God as the one who's not going to let you finally fall, even when you slip on life's perilous journey? That's what this psalm is about. That's what the whole Bible is about. That's what the gospel is about. Verse 4 gives us another wonderful image to teach us that God is vigilant. God's vigilant in keeping us. Look at what it says there. He who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. I love that phrase. I love that phrase. Think about how easy it is for us to fall asleep. I mean, our kids and Marianne and I went to see the, the new Lion King a couple of weeks ago. Here's, here's a spoiler alert. It's still animated, by the way. It's not live action. You can't have live action lions. That drives me nuts. It's just updated CGI. Anyway, different sermon for a different day. Um, but of course, like I do in almost every movie now, I fell asleep for like 15 minutes. I can't stay awake in a movie. It's a sign of my age and it's troubling, to be honest. Um, That's a third sermon, I'm sure. Uh, But think about how often we fall asleep when we're supposed to be vigilant, not just when we're watching a movie. Listen to what Albert Barnes, a commentator on the Psalms, writes. I love how he put it. He says, a sentinel may slumber at his post by inattention, by long-continued wakefulness, or by weariness. A pilot may slumber at the helm. Even a mother may fall asleep by the side of a sick child. But God is never exhausted, is never weary, and is never inattentive. He never closes his eyes on the condition of his people. I summarize that by saying God's eyelids never droop. God's eyelids never droop. God is always, always, always watching over you in the day and in the night. And so what that means is that you can go through life in peace if you are one of his children, if you are in Christ. There's a proverb I read this week from uh, the Middle East about a Middle Eastern woman who uh, was robbed in her home while she was sleeping. And she awoke to see that she had been vandalized and she immediately went to her sultan to seek recompense for her loss. And so she appeared before the sultan and the sultan asked the woman, well, why did you fall asleep? And the woman said back to him immediately, I fell asleep because I believed that you were awake. And the sultan was so pleased by her answer that he ordered her losses to be repaid. And that's the point of this psalm, isn't it? We can rest because we know that God is restlessly watching over us. He's a powerful keeper. He's a vigilant keeper, right? And we see lastly, the final half of the psalm tells us that God's a constant keeper. Look at verse 5. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. That verse is telling us that God is near to us. He's constantly present. The infinite Lord of all things has become in Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. As Eugene Peterson puts it, he moves into the neighborhood in Jesus. To use theological language, the transcendent God is also an imminent God. He's above all things, and yet he also condescends and comes close. So close that this psalmist can describe him as your shade at your right hand. He's your shade at your right hand. 
We had sports camp this past week, and we worked on a little bit of defense. And it reminded me of my time playing basketball, my illustrious basketball career, sitting at the very end of the bench for the Amarillo High School Sandys. But in practice, my coach would often say when we were working on defense, you better shadow him. I want you to be so close to that guy that you, he mistakes you for his shadow. Be his shade, my coach would say. And that's exactly what this psalmist is saying, that God is for us. God is so near to us as our protector, that he is like our shadow. He follows us wherever we go. He will be a shield about us. He will guard us all the time. Uh, the great 5th century Christian, Patrick, St. Patrick, we know him for the green beer, St. Patrick's Day. Uh, he should be better known for his conversion of the Irish in the 5th century. And he's got a famous hymn that's been attributed to him that is called St. Patrick's Breastplate. Let me read part of it for you. It makes the point of Psalm 21 beautifully. Here's what Patrick wrote thousands of years ago. I arise today through God's strength to pilot me. God's might to uphold me, God's wisdom to guide me, God's eye to look before me, God's ear to hear me, God's word to speak for me, God's hand to guard me, God's shield to protect me, God's host to save me from snares of devils, from temptation of vices, from everyone who shall wish me ill afar and near. Christ with me, Christ before me, Christ behind me, Christ in me, Christ beneath me, Christ above me. Christ on my right, Christ on my left, Christ when I lie down, Christ when I sit down, Christ when I arise. Everyone who's trusted in Jesus Christ can know that that is their prayer as well. God is your constant keeper, your shade at your right hand. The verse also recalls one of the great benefits of being in the new covenant, of living post Jesus' resurrection. The way that God acts for us as a shade is through the ministry and presence of his spirit. That's why Jesus in the gospel of John, in John 16, Jesus is speaking to his disciples right before he goes to die at the cross. And he says, it's better for me to leave you. How can Jesus say that? How can he say to his people, it's better for me to be away? He can say that because of what he says next. It's better for me to be gone because when I'm gone, I will send to you another comforter. I will send to you the Spirit. And the Spirit will continue to minister the ministry of Jesus Christ and his love and grace to us all the time. He will shade us. Through the ministry of the Spirit, we have assurance of Christ's constant keeping grace. So let me ask you, let me ask you, does your Christian life, if you're a Christian, does your Christian life reflect a reliance on the Holy Spirit? Does it reflect a reliance on the Holy Spirit to be our comforter and our advocate and our constant companion? And how do you know if your Christian life reflects that? Here's the main way to know. How is your prayer life? Do you make use of the blessing and benefit of prayer, of communing with the Holy Spirit through the gospel? Prayer is like walking into the shade of God's presence on a sunny day. might be worth reflecting on with your family, with your own devotional life this week. The psalm continues. It says in verse 6 that God is with us always. He'll protect us from the perils of the heat and from the fears of the dark. He's with us when we lie down. He's with us when we wake up. He's with us when we drive. He's with us when we eat. He's with us when we play. He's with us when we work. He's with us when we cry. 
He's with us when we rejoice. God's with us all the time. He's with you when you're online. He's with you when you're on a business trip. He's with you when you're on an airplane. He's with you when you're in a traffic jam. He's with you when you wish he wasn't with you. And he's wish with you when you don't know that he's there. He's with you when you struggle. He's with you when you're hurting. He's with you when you're heartbroken. And he's with you when you're sick. He's always with you. God is your constant companion in and through Jesus. And so if that's true, why is it that you still experience trouble? (laughs) Good question. Why is it that you still experience evil? I can't answer all that for you. But I can say this. God does not keep us from suffering or pain. But God does keep us through suffering and pain. God doesn't always keep us from suffering or pain, but for his own purposes, he keeps us through suffering and pain. And suffering is actually, usually, a means by which God reminds us that he keeps us. Peter and James and Paul in the New Testament, they all say that suffering is a way that God refines us and prepares us for life here and for life eternal. He actually grows us through suffering. So when you're suffering, when you're experiencing hardship, that is not, friends, it is not a sign that God is no longer your constant companion. It's a sign that he knows, rather, how best to keep and take care of you to expose you to just enough hardship and pain so that it will ultimately, in some mysterious way, be for your ultimate good and for his ultimate glory. He leads us, as we saw a few weeks ago, through the valley of the shadow of death, and he keeps us all the way. Another commentator on the Psalms writes this, Although neither the church nor any member thereof has any promise that affliction and temptation shall never come, Yet the word of God makes it certain that no believer shall perish in it. No believer shall perish in it. Wrapping it up here, the final stanza, the final verse of the psalm does away with the imagery. And it kind of simply just sums it up in the most expansive language possible. Look there, verse 7 and verse 8. The Lord will keep us from all evil. He will keep your life. Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forever. So that language includes pretty much everything and excludes pretty much nothing. It's saying that there's no situation and there's no circumstance in which the Christian is ever in a place where God is not constantly with him or her. That's why the author of Hebrews can tell us that he will never leave you nor forsake you. That's why Jesus said before, before he ascended into heaven, behold, I am with you for how long? Always. I'm with you always until the end of the age. That's why Paul tells us that nothing can ever separate us from the love of God in our Lord Jesus Christ. And really, that's where we have the exclamation point of this psalm. That's where this psalm reaches its culmination in Jesus himself. The way that God keeps your life is through Jesus Christ. Jesus said that all who come to him, he will receive and he will never cast any out. Jesus said that he will never lose any of his sheep. Nothing can pluck even a single one of them from his hand. Jesus, Jesus is our powerful, vigilant, constant keeper. Jesus is our shade. Jesus is our protection both day and night. And the reason we know that Jesus is your shade is because Jesus was left unprotected by his father. Jesus left the shade of God's presence to go die under the hot sun of a Jerusalem day on a barren cross being mocked and spit at 
Jesus did that freely and willingly out of love for you so that through faith you can enter into the comforting shade of God's presence and have full conviction through faith that he will never leave you. He will never forsake you. So when you can see that this psalm has its fulfillment, it's yes, it's amen through Jesus, we can hopefully, in faith, respond by trusting him. Can you do that today? What's going on in your life? What are you facing? What are you afraid of? What's keeping you up at night? What are you thinking about when you wake up in the morning? Jesus knows about those things, and he will be with you through it. So trust him. Trust in your keeper. He will accept you. He will forgive you. He is with you. Always. Let's pray.